So I heard that there's a huge rush at Wendy's shortly after 7. So I'm going to do you a favor, and I'm going to keep you here till 8. <laughs> that way you'll miss the rush. Yeah? <laughs> no. Let's pray. God, I thank you for the opportunity to come and just to look at your word, God. Uh, we thank you that your word is living and active, God, and it is sharp, God. And I pray that tonight as we come before you and your word, God, that you would, you would cut us, God. You are the, the great physician, God. And we, we come tonight, God, because we are broken people, God. Um, we are broken and we are in need of, of you and your skillful word, God, to come and to, to cut, God, the sharpness of your word, God, the, the scalpel of your word to, to be wielded by the Holy Spirit and come and, and cut us open, God. Expose us so that we might run to you and be healed, God. Um, and I thank you for that, and I pray that you would do that tonight as we look at your word, God. Um, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So tonight we're going to be in James chapter 4. Um, we're going to look at 1 through 10, and I recognize it as a very dense passage. So tonight we're just going to scratch the surface, and we're going to trace a thread um, through James 1, 4, 1 through 10. Um, and I hope that you guys can be blessed by that as I have been, as I looked. Um, as we said, God is a great physician, and uh, he cuts us open. And it hurts, right? There's no anesthetic in, in God's surgery room. So hopefully you'll see that, um, and you'll feel that, and you'll be cut by his word. Um, I'm an NIV guy, but for uh, purposes of, of liking the way that it worded it in the ESV, I'm going to read it in the ESV for you tonight, and we're going to look at it there. So I'll, I'll use my phone to read that, and then I'll put it away. And we'll come back out. So you'll excuse me for that. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace. Therefore it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. 
Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. God, we thank you for your word and we ask that you open our eyes and open our ears so that we might see and hear God and turn to you and be healed. Thank you. So I want to just break this down kind of phrase by phrase. We'll walk through it. Right, so that first phrase there, he says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? And the first thing that I want to look at is there is conflict in my life. Okay, there's conflict in my life. And James assumes this, right? He, he doesn't ask, is there conflict? He knows that there's conflict. He knows that because I relate as a sinful person to other sinful people, any relationship that I am in is marked by conflict, right? And that's his assumption that he starts with because he knows our hearts, okay? So that's the first thing to see. There's conflict in my life, okay? That is a given as I relate to other people. The next thing that I want to see from this verse is that this conflict has a cause, okay? What causes quarrels? What causes fights? This conflict has a cause, and I think that, that that's a little bit of, of gospel right here at the beginning of this passage, right? Because if there is a cause, there's a cure. And I think that's hope. That's the hope of the gospel. So a little story to illustrate this, right? A lot of you know my grandmother, Elaine Hines, um, and the battle that she went through with the illness that she had, right? Very much... Uh, a, a troubling time for her, right? And, and that up and down roller coaster and, and a lot of the pain came from what? They didn't know the cause of the illness, what was causing it. Because the cause was unknown, right? There wasn't a cure, okay? There was a treating of the symptoms that maybe occasionally gave temporary relief, but because the cause was unknown, there was no cure. And it wasn't until, after many, many doctors, right, the cause was, was found that it could be treated and there was relief, okay? There was healing. So I think that's a little bit of gospel here. Right in the beginning, as he brings out the fact that we have conflict, okay, there's a cause. And we're going to investigate that as we go through. He's going to explain that so that, that we can experience the cure, so the next little uh, phrase there. Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? Okay, so here we see that the cause of this conflict that I experience in all my relationships is inside of me, right? The cause of the conflict is inside of me. Okay, it's me. So I want to look here... Um, going back to Genesis chapter 3. And I think the reason this is important is because our knee-jerk reaction, right, to conflict, especially that we experience with other people, is what? It's to shift the blame. It's to finger point. And that's because it's in our DNA. As we look at Genesis 3, okay, we look at the fall of man, okay? Man sinned. God comes to man. And we'll start in verse 6 here. When the woman saw 
that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some of it and ate it. She also gave some of it to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, Okay, this is where it comes from. The man said, The woman You put her here with me. She gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Okay, so then he turns to the woman, right? The Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? Okay, what's her knee-jerk reaction? Okay, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. Okay, so we see that it's in our DNA, okay, when we experience conflict, Okay, when we are faced and confronted with our sin, to look outside of ourselves. And James here is stripping that away. No, the cause is inside of me. Okay, that's, that's huge to see. So the other thing we see is my war without is only symptomatic of my war within. Okay, so in that first verse he uses among you, and then he shifts it when he gets into that uh, that the passions are at war within me, okay? So the war outside that I experience with other people, that's only a symptom, okay? That is not the problem. That's a symptom of the war going on inside of me, okay? So we need to understand what that is, and he gets into that, and he explains that, okay? So he starts to use a word, and we'll see a couple different words. He uses passions and desires, okay? Affections, Okay, we talk about that. And what we need to see is that I am entrenched in an irreconcilable war of want. I want, I want, I want. Okay, it's my desires inside of me, the things that I want, okay, that he points to as the cause of this. So we want to trace that through and see what that is. So let's go on to verse 2. He says this, You desire and do not have. So you murder, you covet, and cannot obtain. So you fight and quarrel. Okay, so if in the first verse, James is working from the symptom to the disease, right, the conflict, getting into the cure, and that it's the desires. Okay, in the second verse, we see he's working the other way around. Okay, he's taking the disease and he's working to the symptoms. You desire and do not have, so you murder Okay, so I want to see from this that desire that is disappointed leads to disaster. Okay, let me say that again. Desire that is disappointed leads to disaster. Okay, so we see inside of our hearts there's a desire, there's a want, and we see that want unsatisfied, and that leads to disaster. When I first read through this, it was a little bit... um, 
a little bit shocking to come to terms with when the one thing that he picks is murder, right? Because I think uh, that's purposeful that he goes there because my, my first reaction is to say, well, I'm not a murderer. It's fine, right? To, again, that, that DNA from Genesis 3 that's in our blood, okay, comes out. So I, th- I thought, okay, yeah, we get what Jesus says, right, about murder and how he elevates it, but thinking about, okay, well, where's a real murder? Where can I go to, to maybe understand some of this? And so my mind immediately went to David, right? We know that David was a murderer. So uh, let's look over in, in 2 Samuel chapter 11, okay? And as I, I wanted to trace that through, okay, because he's working here from the, the disease to the symptom, right? So if David was a murderer, where did that start? Where did that come from? Okay. And I don't think that the story here about David and Bathsheba starts for no reason like it does in verse 1. So let's read 2 Samuel 11, verse 1. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. Right? So that's how this opens up, okay? This, this whole fiasco that includes adultery and murder and cover-up and, and deception, all this crazy stuff, right? All this conflict starts with David staying at home. And I don't know necessarily the reason, but I would like to think maybe it's the desire of comfort, right, that keeps David at home. Hey, I'm king. I want to be comfortable. I don't want to go out and deal with all that stuff. I'm just going to stay at home, okay? So we see that desire, and it starts maybe sometimes as a very good thing or a very small thing, okay? But what happened is that grew, right? One desire is not satisfied, which leads to another desire that's not satisfied, okay? He looks out, and he sees Bathsheba, Okay, all of this snowballs and it winds up in this great fiasco because his desire was disappointed. Okay, so I think that's important to see from, from this verse. Let's go on to the next, uh, next section there. He says this, you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Okay, I don't think here that James is getting to the cure, okay? I think that what James is doing in these verses is he is still cutting, okay? He's still exposing us, okay? And that's not to say that, that we don't pray, okay? He, he, in other parts in James, in the early chapter and a little bit later, okay, he talks about asking God for things, right? So that's, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about here that my passions those desires that I have should propel me to prayer. The problem is they don't. I don't pray, right? And so I think that is a further exposure of my heart, that the desires that God has placed in me, these passions should propel me to prayer, and they're not doing that, right? Why? Why are they not doing that? And I think when I look at my own heart, I think one of the biggest things is independence, right? I want to do it myself. I don't want to ask for help. 
okay? That's revelatory of where I'm at, okay? That's, that's an, an exposure of my own sinful heart, that I want to be independent, and I want to do it myself, and so I don't want to stop, and I don't want to ask God, okay? The other thing I want to say, or, or see from that, that next section in verse 3, okay? You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions, okay? So when I finally do pray, I pray to profit my passions, okay? I pray to profit my passions, and that's a further uh, revelation of my sinful heart, okay, of my problem, okay? Um, An excellent example of this, right? Um, So maybe a, a couple months ago, I was walking down the stairs, and uh, my five-year-old, Oliver, was following me. And I, I heard him, you know, kind of softly at first say, it's not working, it's not working, it's not working. And so I stopped and I said, Oliver, what's, what's not working? He goes, Dad, it's not working. He goes, I keep praying to God to get my lightsaber back. And it's not working. <laughs> okay? Because earlier, his mom and I had taken away his lightsaber because it was being used for evil, right? Um, <laughs> So I think that's a great example, okay? And, that, and that's a, a juvenile example, right? I did the same thing when I was little, okay? I wanted a, a super soaker squirt gun. And I can remember saying, all right, God, I'm going to put you to the test. I'm not going to ask my mom and dad. I'm just going to pray for this thing. And I prayed and I prayed and I prayed. All summer long, I prayed. Never once asked my parents, right? God, I'm just going to watch you work and it's going to be awesome. You're going to bless me with a super soaker. And I was crushed, right? But that's not, that's not an indictment against God's character. That's a revelation of our heart, right? My sinful heart, okay? So I think he's still exposing. Hasn't quite got to the cure. So let's go on to verse four. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God, okay? So the thing I, I, I see here in the text is that my alternating affections are adulterous, okay? That my affections should be for something, okay? And we're gonna see what that is, but they're not, and God calls that adultery. And that kind of hurts, right, to hear God talk like that. But it's good because it's true. His word is true, um, so what I thought about here um, that jumped out to me was uh, Romans chapter 1. So let's flip over there to Romans chapter 1. We're going to start in Romans 1, 18. And here Paul says this. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged 
the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Okay, so I I think what we see in these verses here is that I am still exchanging the creator for his creation, right? It's, that's the, the, the first bad exchange, right, that we see in Romans, okay? That's still happening in my heart when he calls me an adulterous person, okay? He's getting at my affections, okay? I have exchanged in my heart the creator for his creation, and that happens in a million different ways, okay? And for each one of us, that looks so different, right? But what happens in my heart is that it is made right, for my creator. And instead of my desire being for my creator, right, my desire is for his creation. And time after time after time, I turn away and I run after his creation, right? So that's what I see here, that further exposure. So let's move on to verse five, where he says this, or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. So the thing that I see from this verse is that God intends to have my undivided affection, okay? But he doesn't. That's the cause that James is getting at here. There's something wrong with my heart and it is that I want other things than God, okay? Anything other than God, in fact, okay? That, that exchange that's still happening, okay? And God, by his grace and his spirit living in me, is constantly yearning jealously, okay? And what that causes in my heart is an unrest, and that is a great thing, okay? That disappointment that we feel Okay, that we looked at earlier, that disappointment in things less than God is actually a good thing. Okay, because our hearts were made for him and nothing less than him can fill that. And he's yearning jealously. Okay, so I think now, finally in verse six, we start to get to the cure, right? What does verse say? six say? But, okay, the great but. But he gives more grace. Okay, this is the cure. God in his grace, okay? So the thing I see here is God gives his grace through the gospel to my Gomer-like heart. Okay, that's what I thought about, my Gomer-like heart. Um, And if you know about the prophet Hosea, you'll understand what what I'm speaking about, right? So let's look over there in Hosea, okay? So the prophet Hosea, right, God had him just go through something terrible as, as a lesson to Israel about this very thing, okay, that we see, this very, uh, this, this adultery that we see, okay? So, Hosea chapter one, starting in verse two. When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, go, take yourself an adulterous wife, and children of unfaithfulness, because the land is guilty of the vilest adultery in departing from the Lord. So he married Gomer, daughter of Diblaim, and she conceived, 
and bore him a son. Okay, so God through the prophet Hosea is setting up this great illustration through the prophet Hosea of how God loves to come and save the adulterous people, right? That's who we are. That's, that's what our hearts are. Okay, there's nothing else but that. So he doesn't have anyone else to save but adulterers, right? And so in chapter three, okay, I love this because I think this is where we see the grace, right? God's just his grace that hunts us down, that spirit that, that yearns jealously that we saw in the, in the verse before. Hosea chapter three, God said to me, go, show your love to your wife again, Though she is loved by another and is an adulteress, love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. Okay, so in Hosea, God again to the people of Israel, right, through Hosea and and going again after his wife, Gomer, shows us, right, that he gives more grace, that he hunts us down, okay, that my adulterous heart, he continues to come and to pour out his love, okay, and that's the, that is the cure, the beginning of the cure, okay, so let's, let's continue on, and this is a big section, there's so much here, but um, I'm just going to highlight a couple things, I'm going to read through it, and then we'll talk about them, therefore it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be be turned to mourning, and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. So the first thing I want to look at there is is just confession, right? There's a lot of confessional language in this section. And I think that's the, the first thing to recognize is that as we see this, as we see our hearts exposed, as we see the fact that we have these desires for other things, okay, that are not God, and, and those things are, are pulling us and tugging us away, Okay, and God comes to us and reveals that through his word. Okay, the, fir- the first thing is just confessing. It's just agreeing. God, you're right. You're right. I am that adulterous person who is constantly forsaking you, right, and turning to other things. I'm, I'm, I'm forsaking the creator and running after his creation. It's just agreeing and confessing. Okay, the second thing that I see is draw near. Okay, draw near. That we come And I think this is a a great promise, right? Draw near to God. And what's the promise? He will draw near to you. Okay, here we see that this heart, this passion, this desire, okay, that I've had, that I've gone after so many other things, okay, that have disappointed me and led to disaster, okay? God is promising here, hey, I am gonna fill that. I meant to fill that. And your heart, Augustine, right? That our hearts are restless until they find their rest in him. That's what he's saying. Draw near, come, come. All those desires, bring those desires. Because guess what? I'm the one that's supposed to fill those. Okay, that's what you're looking for. That's what you're thirsting for. It's me. Come, draw near, and I'm gonna draw near to you. Okay, and I think the, the third thing is submitting to God's humbling hand, okay? We submit to God's humbling hand. 
Now, I know it says here, um, humble yourselves, right? But uh, the example that, that I want to look at um, is over in Daniel. A great example of this. And this is uh, King Nebuchadnezzar, right? So in Daniel chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream, right? Daniel comes and, and, and he explains the dream to him. It's not a good dream, right? And then we see the fulfillment of that dream, starting in, in verse 28, Daniel 4, 28. All this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. Twelve months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace in Babylon, he said, Is not this the great Babylon that I have built as the royal residence? By my might and for the glory of my majesty? The words were still on his lips when a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from the people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like cattle. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and he gives them to anyone he wishes. Immediately, what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from the people and ate grass like cattle. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases. With the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth, no one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the same time, my sanity was restored. My honor and splendor were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My, adv my advisors and nobles sought me out, and I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the King of Heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Right? So we see that we are to submit ourselves under God's humbling hand because he is able to humble us, okay? When we get into that place of pride where we exchange his glory, okay, for other things, and then he, with his loving and gracious spirit that is envying inside of us, that is causing us to be miserable and causing us to make everyone around us miserable, okay, when he comes and he humbles, okay, we just look, we look up, and we admit and we confess, Okay, and what happens? And he exalts us. And that is so beautiful. Okay, so as we step back from this, I want to I wanna look at kind of maybe a bigger picture. Um, and, and one of the things that stood out to me um, in this, this topic of conflict, right? Um, and that God really doesn't deal with the symptoms, that he deals with the disease. And he gives us a real cure Okay, I was blown away by the contrast of worldly wisdom, right? 
Because what happens when you have conflict, okay, and you go to worldly wisdom to get a Band-Aid for your symptoms, right? We're going to go to Dr. Phil, and we're going to go to Oprah, and they're going to give us good advice, right? They're going to give us 10 steps to resolve your conflict, okay? And I, please understand, I'm not, I'm not saying that there are not practical steps to take and that there's not practical wisdom in the Bible, but what I was blown away by in this passage was that James doesn't give us any of that, right? What he does is he exposes our hearts, okay? And he shows us that when we are satisfied in God, right, when our desires that cause the conflict are truly met in him, right, all that stuff disappears, right? It becomes almost non-issues because our hearts are satisfied in him, okay? And that is, that is something that is amazing. So our insatiable desire, okay, was created to be a doorway into deeper intimacy with God. And I think we need to see that, that all these things that I want, my disease of want, 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 okay, that is a grace of God because it drives us to him because nothing other than him is gonna satisfy that, okay? So we see that God can humble and um, as we're thinking about this disease cure thing, um, I was reminded of the quote, right? An ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. And I can tell you from experience, right, that it is better to draw near to God and stay in that position of being dependent on him and drawing near to him than it is to chase after those other things and have him break you under his humbling hand, right, and cure you in that way. So take the prevention, right? Draw near, stay near, be satisfied in him, save yourself, and everyone around you the pain of the conflict that you're going to experience because you're going to go after things that are less than God and they're not going to satisfy you and then you're just going to wind up in conflict. You're going to be miserable and you're going to make everyone around you miserable because our hearts will not be satisfied with anything other than him. God, I thank you that you are so glorious, God. You are so worthy, God, of all of our hearts. And we just, we just confess tonight, God, that we are adulterous people. God, our hearts run after everything and anything other than you, God. And I thank you for the grace of your word to come and to, to cut us and, and to expose us, God. And I pray that as we see that, God, that we would turn. We would just confess. We would draw near, God, and we would see you satisfy the deepest desires of our heart, God. We, we turn away from ourselves, God. We turn away from the dependence on ourselves, God. And, and we just submit to you and we humbly ask that you would come and you would teach our hearts to be satisfied in you, God. Because when that happens, God, not only are we satisfied, but you are glorified. And that is our prayer, God. Amen.